Year three of Jesus's earthly ministry has started and the crowds are all around him. He had a wild night of miracles on water and before that, a miracle of multiplied fish and bread. And now with all the need around him, especially the hungry who have heard the news of the great feeding, what will Jesus do? Welcome to Anakinosis, where we renew our minds towards biblical worldview and the scriptures. This is a show for anyone looking to build or repair their biblical worldview. Whether you're 100% comfortable in the current Christian culture, or you feel like an outsider looking in, everyone is welcome. My name is Jeremy Egan. I'm just a guy with a Bible literacy background who has ASD and who thinks a lot about how to think. Today, Jesus will compare himself to bread. We start in John 6, 22-24. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. So there's some good stuff here. The people assume Jesus is still by the mountain where he fed the people because the disciples and he only had one boat at the time and Jesus didn't leave on the boat. That's sound logic. But, you know, Jesus walked halfway across the water surface to the boat and then they were immediately on the land. The crowds look all over for him where logic should point to, and then they simply go to Capernaum, where he is likely to turn up soon anyway. Verse 25 through 27. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. So Jesus knows their hearts, he knows their hurt, and he knows that they're hungry or possibly cheap. He believes that they would like to be fed again. Then Jesus says not to work for food that perishes. This is neither to say we shouldn't work for food and it should always be free, nor is Jesus commanding people to earn food. The work that people put in wasn't their work for the economy or in the market, but the personal manual labor of transporting themselves across the lake and back looking for him, looking for food. And Jesus doesn't think a temporary bread and fish dinner is worth that kind of effort. Rather, one should seek eternal food that comes from the Son of Man. Now, the learned among them would know that the Son of Man is a reference from the book of Daniel to the human representative that reigns with God and receives worship next to the Ancient of Days. That passage has no bread or food references in it. But Jesus is saying that the Son of Man 
does have eternal bread to give. Now that would be special bread. That would be bread worth a thousand trips across the lake and back. But what would it take? How much does God's bread cost? Verse 28. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. I hope they caught that, and I hope you catch that too. What works does God require? It's a question from the heart of the legalist. It is the question from the heart of someone who wants to save themselves. What is on the checklist to righteousness? And the answer is belief in Jesus. So simple, so clean. And now we can connect the dots to see the gospel of Jesus. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, no one could enter the kingdom without being righteous. Also, nobody is righteous except for himself. And now to receive the bread from this realm, you must believe in him. So what does believe mean here? It's the possessive form of pistos. That is to say, it means for one to entrust. So how do we get this bread from the son of man? Trust him. Now, do they have enough evidence to trust him? Yes. And if you remember, John the baptizer went through this exercise and Jesus simply listed out some reasons, some signs for him to believe. The crowd would like one more and preferably a meal. Verse 30, so they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Moses showed us God's love by feeding us. And then Jesus corrects the ownership. It wasn't Moses. It was Yahweh, God, the father himself. And he's doing it again, but not through manna, but through another bread. And they want whatever bread that God is laying down. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. The listener now has to put their hunger aside and their disbelief that requires more miracles and do two things. Come to Jesus, which is to change your path, to follow him, and believe in Jesus, which is to entrust your security and satisfaction to him. That's it. Follow and believe. But many in the crowd cannot, and Jesus identifies this. Verse 36. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. 
All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is starting to get a little spicy here with his words in year three. Yahweh, God the Father, is giving people to Jesus, and whoever they are, Jesus keeps. There'll be no rejections. There'll be no losses. This is amazing. And he says he comes down from heaven. He's using the word for sky rather than a spiritual place. The sky has long been associated with the gods. And whether that's accurate or not, Jesus plays with this imagery. He didn't come down independently, but it's a joint mission from Yahweh to gain the world and lose none. So what would that look like? Death will still take those whom he holds. You can come to Jesus and trust in Jesus and be sure that he holds you tight, but you'll still die. But afterwards, and this is where it gets exciting, and Jesus puts emphasis on this two times, on the last day you'll be raised to new life. Never lost. Now how could you take this in as a listener? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has sent the Son of Man on a mission to save you. Now, how can I say that? Am I borrowing modern evangelical language here? I don't think so. Salvation is a theme throughout the Bible echoed here. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were cast out and promised death. Condemnation was death because of sin. We need to be saved from sin and death. Jesus is offering resurrection life to all who believe. This is salvation. Instead of death, life. And if there are any religious folks in the crowd, Pharisees, let's say, they would notice the prophetic tones of this. They would also catch the I am statement. When Moses asked God to identify himself, he revealed his name as I am that who I am. And Jesus uses I am in front of bread. Whether intentional or not, the author John will make sure that he frames seven I am statements in his recording of the events, with this being the first. So the Pharisees would not be feeling that. And the Sadducees, who don't believe in the resurrection of the dead as being a literal event, wouldn't be feeling this message either. Anyone else? Probably just not feeling the whole man from outer space image. John 6, 41-51 So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, that they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen 
the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. It's more spice. And admittedly, Christian doctrine. For those who think that the Apostle Paul made up a cult of belief in Jesus and grace from God that has nothing to do with anything that Jesus said, missed this part of year three. Nobody can come to Jesus, which was step one earlier, unless God draws him. The Greek word for draw is helkuo, which is actually drag. And John will use the word in his book to describe a dragnet full of fish. And Luke uses the term to describe some of the disciples being brought before the rulers in the book of Acts. They were dragged before them. So how much free will does one have while being dragged? It's very little. But do we possess free will? Yeah, that's firmly established from Genesis 2 onward. So some Christians see this dragging and they change the formula to one, God drags, and then two, this dragging is irresistible and I submit, which counts as my following and trusting. And then other Christians don't like how that sounds and they say God doesn't even drag us. That part's fake. That's made up. It's not there. So here is the doctrine of the drag. One, God drags you to Jesus through teaching. And then two, you choose to follow and believe or not. Jesus doesn't say that the work God is looking for is submission to his dragging. Jesus says that it is faith. Being dragged and free will can work together. Because again, you're not being dragged through your objections or being dragged through uh, your your pain and suffering. You're being dragged through the teachings of God. Some Christians will say that God only drags some to submission and then the rest are left to die. And I think everything about that is probably wrong. And then some Christians will say that God leaves us flapping in the breeze to decide on our own without any intervention. And I don't think that is the case either. It sounds to me like God drags us all through his teaching and then we all decide. Belief equals eternal life, meaning a resurrection, which Jesus adds a third time here. Then verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now it's not just spicy, it's weird. So let's follow the imagery. Jesus is the bread. Okay, easy enough. Eat the bread and you will live. It's been established by Jesus that the action or the work involved is trusting and following him. So this must be the act and work of eating. And this bread he gives for the life of the world is his body. 
So he's saying that he will sacrifice his body. This will be a part of our trust and this will be a part of our follow. And keep in mind, we have the benefit of the whole picture and we can slow down the words and we can reread it and we can meditate on it and we can check the meaning of words and we're probably not hungry while we read it. But the crowd there is hungry and has no such study step. They had to hear the whole thing in real time and they heard it literally. The man of bread wants us to eat his body. Verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. More spicy weirdness. Now, imagine you hear this literally. Cannibalism or vampirism is seemingly the call here. And a lot of people will bail at this time. And it's clear he isn't saying that. But he is saying something deeply powerful. Unless you eat the flesh and drink the blood, you will have no life. If eat has been established as faith, now drink is as well. And now blood is involved. We have to understand that the body, the flesh that he is sacrificing, will die. He will not survive his act of sacrifice. If we trust and follow his death, we will be raised. This is true salvation. And did you catch the abide language? Jesus will use his wording later with his disciples, but for now, it's with the synagogue crowds. Abide in me and I in you. There is a oneness of commitment, a loyalty covenant that is forged in this act. And like I said, we have the benefit of slowing down the words and knowing how the story ends. The original audience in the synagogue does not. Verse 60 to 65, when many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was that would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. What Jesus is saying here is difficult, but his explanation to the disciples is helpful. These are spiritual words. It comes down to belief. Flesh is nothing. 
That's his way of saying, don't actually eat people. This is spiritual. This is symbolic. This is not literal. Some believe and some don't, and he wonders if watching him return to the sky would make a difference later. Some of them will be there for that event. Some of them will not. Some are already gone. Look at verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Now remember, Jesus has many disciples above and beyond the symbolic twelve men. On this day, this is too much for some of them. And we don't know how many of them peel off, but it has Jesus looking at the twelve and asking if any of them are leaving as well. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. So it's a sweet moment of faith and trust and love and loyal covenant bonding and then that devil guy. Yikes. But Peter's answer here about leaving Jesus is beautiful and something that many modern deconstructionists have held on to. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I might be leaving behind a lot of things, but not you, Jesus. And when we're not deconstructing, but God seems to be distant or we don't understand what he is doing, this answer still holds. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. As we continue to build our biblical worldview, we want to think about what in our minds needs renewed. Is there any alternative to Jesus? There's many that we try. Self-protection pleasure, doing me, hard work, trying to earn love. Do any of these alternatives have merit? Pardon the pun. Jesus's heart is that we find our identity in nobody but him and that we put our trust in no one but him. And as he said more than once today, he will raise you on the last day. Thank you for listening. Anakinosis is a project for anyone anywhere who's looking to renew their biblical worldview. Next time, Jesus will talk about dirt. <laughs>